Our sermon passage this morning, as uh, Scott had mentioned, is from Habakkuk chapter 3. I hope you've enjoyed Joel and I's little mini-series through Habakkuk. Uh, It's been a joy for me preparing this sermon, Joel and I working through this series together. A few passages of scripture over the last few years have brought me more comfort and peace than the passage I get the joy I have the joy of preaching this morning. So let's read together. This is the word of the Lord. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigionoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. Selah. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and the plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nation in anger. And you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. The grass withers and the flower fades. Join me in one last word of prayer. Lord, your word does stand forever. Help us to trust in it this morning, to find comfort in the midst of fear, that we might live lives of faithfulness and obedience to you. Help us by your spirit this morning. Amen. You recall last time Joel preached two weeks ago, the final verse of chapter 2 reads this. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. I'm certain that many of us, myself included, have questioned or even doubted God in times of difficulty. Perhaps we've suffered a great loss or simply an onslaught of minor losses. Whatever the case may be, it's brought us to the very brink, and we begin to question God and his goodness, even his power. Habakkuk can certainly relate to that. He spends the majority of the first two chapters of his book questioning God, complaining, doubting. He questions God, and God answers him. Habakkuk doesn't like that answer, complains some more, so on and so forth. However, at the close of chapter 2, we get that powerful verse. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. It's as if God is saying, the buck stops here, Habakkuk. No more questions. How would you respond in a time of difficulty if you were in Habakkuk's shoes here? All your questions and complaints, petitions, and you hear silence. Well, interestingly enough, Habakkuk responds with a song to break the silence. A prayer according to Shigionoth is what we're told. That's just a funny word. We don't really know what its meaning is, but it's most likely the tune that the song would have been sung to. Like saying, to the tune of the old 100th. Given it only appears here, and in Psalm 7, it's probably connected to lament. So in response that all that has been said so far, with the coming judgment of the Chaldean conquerors, and the judgment on Jerusalem to follow, Habakkuk responds with a song of prayer. Verse 2 gives us the foundation for the prayer. He says, I have heard heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. The report here is referring to God's great acts of salvation in the past. Habakkuk heard the report, most likely in the temple during their worship, 
of God's great deeds of salvation. He is calling them to mind so that he might revere God even more. And this is what God's people did. It's what God's people continue to do, right? We sing to remind ourselves of what God has done for us. We heard the great song of Moses read earlier, which details God's saving work in delivering Israel through the exodus from Egypt, the high point of the Old Testament. It says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Habakkuk would have heard this regularly. And hearing this, Habakkuk asks the Lord to revive these very same works and reveal them again in his own day. He's essentially asking God, do it again. Make it known amongst the nations. Deliver your people as you've delivered them before. Make your deeds known across the land, just as they were in Egypt. So here, Habakkuk hears the report. He asks the Lord to revive his works, reveal them again. And then lastly, he asks the Lord to remember mercy in the midst of wrath. Habakkuk knows that the Lord has already promised judgment through the Babylonians. We've already established that throughout the book of Habakkuk. But nonetheless, he asked the Lord that in that wrath, the judgment that's coming, he would nonetheless remember mercy. He knows and is familiar with texts like Exodus 34, which reminds us that our God is a merciful God. Exodus 34 reads, The Lord, the Lord, our God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. However, it also says, but who will by no means clear the guilty. The Israelites were not innocent. They had rebelled against their own God, worshipped false idols, and they had brought this judgment on themselves. They deserve the Babylonian captivity that's coming. But so do we. We deserve judgment from God. But thank God that we have a merciful God. And we pray, along with Habakkuk, in wrath, remember mercy. That is the foundation that he is setting for his prayer. In wrath, remember mercy. He knows the wrath is coming and asks that God would be merciful to him and his people. And in the next section of the prayer, verses 3 through 15, Habakkuk is heralding the works of God in further detail. As we will see, he's using echoes of Exodus. That's why I had us read Exodus 15. He's using echoes of Exodus to remind us of God's past deeds in saving his people. He wants us to he wants to show us God's power and glory in salvation through judgment. 
But remember, this is a prayer. So he's not just lifting off God's accolades. He is recalling God's mighty works in hopes that he will do them again. In recalling God's past deeds, Habakkuk is also praying for future deliverance. So first, he begins by poetically describing God marching through the land. Taman was was in the south in the wilderness, and Paran was in the wilderness of Sinai. He uses this path that the Israelites followed in the exodus from Egypt. The image portrays God marching north in power and wrath from the direction of Mount Sinai, where God made his covenant with his people. And on the way, the people of the land, in this passage, Cushon and Midian, are terrified at the sight they behold in verse 7. And you can't blame them. Look at the vivid imagery that Habakkuk gives us to describe God's terrible power. In verse 4, God wields blinding lightning like a weapon. But it says here that this is his veiled power. Imagine the most powerful thunderstorm you've ever seen in your life. That is akin to me rubbing a balloon on my cat's belly and touching a doorknob to God. And you can see the language of Sinai in there, the thunder surrounding the mountains. And he goes even further. Habakkuk says that plagues and pestilence are his entourage, pestilence before him and plagues at his back. Just imagine that. Every step, that God takes on this march from Sinai, a plague follows him. If you think about it, a plague brought the whole modern world with all of our medical marvels to its knees. All of our medical progress and innovation, and yet COVID-19 collapsed entire economies killed millions. But to Habakkuk, every single step that God takes is a new, more terrible plague. COVID-42, Black Death 2, terrifying power. And again, we see the language of Exodus, the ten plagues in Egypt. In verse 6, it says that he flattened hills and mountains with ease. Just imagine that. Mount Washington, boom, Walmart parking lot. Mount Everest, Mount Neverest Moor. Mount Fuji, Sayonara. It is no wonder that all the people of the land looked on in terror. The Song of Moses described that in detail. The Canaanites, the Midianites, everyone looks on, is dismayed, trembling before this almighty, powerful God. His power and might is far beyond any military superpower we could see today. Line them up. Russia, China, the U.S., whatever. All of our military power, God scoffs at it. 
But Habakkuk is not done. Look at verses 8 through 15 now. Now instead of describing God, he is addressing him. And again, listen to the Exodus language. This language of God's past work. He says that God's wrath and anger were against the rivers and the sea. Think how God turned the Nile to blood. How he parted the Red Sea and the Jordan River. You might think that this is a bit of a stretch, but that phrase, lifted its hands on high, is, the, is very similar to how the waters of the Red Sea are described in the Song of Moses. And you can feel the irony, right, when it says, you rode on your horses and your chariot of salvation. While God cast pharaohs and his armies, the horse, the chariots, the riders, all into the sea so they sink like lead, God rides his horses and chariots to save his people. Salvation through judgment. And in verse 11, Habakkuk even recalls God's work in Joshua 10. Listen to what Joshua writes there. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man and the Lord fought for Israel. Nothing in the entire cosmos is outside of God's omnipotent reach. He can stir up the seas, flatten hills, split mountains, carve out rivers, and even cause the whole solar system to cease its course. This is power. This is our God. But it is power with a purpose. Notice what Habakkuk says in verse 12. He says that God marches with fury and anger. Nowadays, that might make a lot of people uncomfortable. The idea of a furious and angry God. Marching through the land. That sounds more like Godzilla than the God of Israel to many people. However, notice, why does it say he was marching in fury? Read verse 13. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. God goes out in fury and anger for the salvation of his people. It was for his beloved that he would crush the head of the house of the wicked. And notice that it is a completely humiliating defeat. I love that about this passage. Not only does he say he crushes their head, it says he lays them bare from thigh to neck, which is just a Hebrew idiom for complete and total subjugation. It even says that he beats them with their own weapons. With his arrows, he pierces the, the heads of their soldiers. But notice a very important clue that we need to see here. Not only do we have this language of the Exodus popping up in this passage, but did you catch the reference to Genesis? Look again at verse 13. 
You crushed the head of the house of the wicked. That's Genesis 3.15, where God promises to Adam and Eve that one day the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. It's the same language. Habakkuk is looking back at what God said and what he's done and is looking forward, even now, to a day when the Messiah would come to deliver his people and bring about a new and greater exodus. The day when Jesus would come to save his people. And just like Habakkuk, we can look at Christ's deliverance as a total victory, both past and future. The past deliverance, which he purchased for us through his death on the cross. When I read verse 14 in this humiliating defeat of God's enemies, I couldn't help but think of Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal commands. This he set aside. How? Nailing it to the cross. But look at how he follows that up. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by trying, triumphing over them in him. Paul here is saying, Christ has disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and put them to open shame through his death on the cross. He crushed death with death. He humiliated Satan with Satan's only weapon. How marvelous, how wonderful a God we serve that he could turn all the tides of history in a moment like that. But notice it doesn't end there. Remember, we also have a future hope. And in light of the head crushing, I thought it appropriate to consider Romans 16, where Paul encourages us that the God of peace, our God, will soon crush Satan under your feet. One day, Christ will return, and when he does, he will finally and fully redeem his bride. And on that day, the great dragon will be thrown down. That ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he will be thrown down to the earth. Hallelujah. Praise God. But it's important for us to remind us that this is for those who are in Christ. Those who have put their faith and trust in him. Just how Habakkuk here is trusting in Yahweh. We are to trust in Christ. Remember I said Israel and Babylon both deserve judgment. But so do we. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this picture of the terrible power that God has and the judgment that awaits in the future, the only way to avoid that is to turn to Christ in faith and trust in him.
So Habakkuk has painted a picture of our powerful God. He has heralded God's past deeds and his future deliverance. And now we have seen how this goes for beyond Babylon and points us to Christ, our great Redeemer. But what are we supposed to do in light of all of this? How shall we now live? Well, verses 16 to 19 will show us. And I think that Habakkuk has written his whole book so that we might have present faith in the here and now, even in the face of fear and tribulation. We have past deeds, a future deliverance, and now we have our present faith. And these verses are weighty, so let's take our time as we go through them. We'll take them bit by bit. But starting with verse 16, he says, I hear. But what is it that Habakkuk heard? Well, everything from the first two chapters. Judgment is coming. First for Jerusalem, and then one day to Babylon. Judgment from the all-powerful God he was just singing about. But how did he respond? Keep reading. My body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones, and my legs tremble. The future filled him with fear and dread. The language here is palpable. It's an overwhelming dread, or as John Bunyan would call it, the slough of despond. Have you ever felt this way yourself? So overcome with fear and dread of what the future might hold? It's really almost impossible to put that feeling into words. I know that I certainly can't. The closest that I can get is May of 2022. Uh, Christina and I were, uh, were pregnant with, uh, with our then-would-be second child, and she had an ectopic pregnancy uh, that ruptured. And so I'm sure there's probably some women here that that strikes to the core. Anyone who knows what that is uh, and I have medical background, so I was very aware when we went to the emergency room uh, and they did the ultrasound and I saw the blood, I knew that there was a chance that by the end of the night I would no longer have a wife. My heart sank. My legs felt weak. Rottenness filled my bones. There was no strength left in me. That is how Habakkuk feels. He realizes that he must endure the judgment and destruction of his own people. And only then would God unleash his power against the Babylonians and his enemies. But notice what Habakkuk says he will do. Yet, in spite of this, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. I will quietly wait. This is a beautiful phrase. The word here underneath the translation for quietly is fascinating. When I first read it in English, I remember thinking like, oh, it's quietly, like 
Like when he said, all the earth keeps silence, he's just saying, I'm just going to shut my mouth, God. Like Habakkuk has to wait in silent solitude until the day when the Babylonians come. But that's not really what the word means. I don't like to be the, but in the Hebrew guy. But this is just, it's so simple to get across that it's not like an academic thing at all. The word is an, it's like an onomatopoeia. You know, a word that sounds like it means. It's the word for a deep sigh. Like a sigh of relief. In the midst of this overwhelming fear and dread, in the face of the dire circumstances before him, Habakkuk says, I can rest easy and await. How? I certainly didn't rest easy back in May when I felt like the world around me just fell apart. How can he just breathe? Well, because the righteous shall live by faith, as he said back in chapter 2. He is trusting in the promises of God. He just finished praying about how powerful God is. He knows that if anyone can save his people, it is our God. And he knows that God will do just as he promised because he is faithful and true. And so he will quietly wait on God's deliverance. And he finishes with what may be one of my most dearly beloved passages in all of Scripture over the last few months. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, there it is again, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Now this is one of those passages that as 21st century Christians in the West, it can be kind of hard to really appreciate at first glance. We read about the fig tree not blossoming and the fruit not growing, the olive tree not producing, and it just sounds like like a lack of luxury. We would think of like olive oil and fruits and vineyards and things like that. Uh, Marks of wealth nowadays. But to the Israelites, a completely agrarian society, this is a picture of complete and total economic collapse. A national crisis. Utter destitution across the entire land. To be honest, things are still pretty good right now for most of us as a nation. Sure, beef is astronomically expensive, but we still have it. Christina can still go to Stearns in White River Junction and buy all the produce she wants to feed us through an entire week. We have homes. But we always must recognize that might not always be the case. And I'm sure that there are some of us here that feel like this and are even enduring it now. Perhaps you've lost a great deal recently. You've lost your job. You don't know where the next meal will come from. 
You've lost a loved one. And the days just feel like too much to keep going on. Or maybe you haven't lost anything, but simply feel like your plate keeps getting piled more and more. Bills are climbing, but the income is stagnant. You received a medical diagnosis that has really derailed your plans for the future. The examples are limitless. Whatever you came here today with, Habakkuk has the same response. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk says, I will rejoice and celebrate in the God of my salvation. And again, he's not being trite. This isn't some pious platitude meant to make him feel good or to present himself as holier. He is filled, he's honest, filled with fear and dread. This is genuine faith. But it is worth repeating how he is able to say this with such confidence. I think verse 19 is the best place to end. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk knows that the Lord is his only source of strength. He says that the Lord will make his feet like the deer's. But what exactly does that mean? I had a difficult time figuring this passage out to be very upfront, which is weird. This is the little comment about deers. You think it would be easy. But it was Joel, because Joel is one of the most brilliant people I know, who really helped me to piece it together. And when he and I were discussing our plans for preaching through Habakkuk, I told him that I was struggling with his verse, and he said, Wes, have you ever seen a video of deer running along a cliffside? I'm like, nope. I have, can't say that I've watched that very much. I'm more into cat videos. So. <laughs> so he told me to go find one, and I did. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, it was a sight to behold. We're talking like vertical cliff faces, and the deer can just run and trot along the side of it like it's nothing. The most perilous terrain that you and I could ever walk on is like them walking on the rail trail in Lebanon. It's nuts. I have, like, I put links to the videos in my notes here, uh, probably because I'm just going to watch them again later, but if you want to see them, I'm happy to show them. But Habakkuk is finishing by telling us that whatever our high places are, these fearful, uncertain circumstances, God will strengthen us so that we can tread upon it like a deer, with ease, Finances, family, infertility, famine, fires, whatever it is, I can't promise that it will pass. It doesn't pass for Habakkuk. He endures the judgment from Babylon and most likely died in the midst of that. He did not get to see the fall of Babylon. But I can promise you this, that the Lord will lead you through it. Do not lose heart. He is your strength. Live lives of faithfulness in the face of fear and uncertainty. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own strength and understanding.
And notice the final line, to the choir master with stringed instruments. This is not a song just for Habakkuk. I've written songs of myself that will never see the light of day. But this is a song for all God's people to sing. I heard somebody like read the scripture passage for a sermon on this once and they sang the song. I did not do that today. I spared you that. But that means me and you. This is why we sing these amazing songs. How great is our God. You are my king. We sing them week in and week out to remind ourselves that he is our strength. He makes our feet like the deer's so that we can tread on our high places. Join me in prayer. Father, your word tells us, your son says, in the world we will have tribulation. But take heart, for you have overcome the world. Lord, I pray that you would draw us to see the beauty of Jesus Christ this morning. His salvation for us, both past, present, and future. Help us to live lives of faithfulness that we would trust in you, that even in the midst of fear and dread and uncertainty, that we would come before you and rejoice and celebrate you. Lord, that does not mean to celebrate our circumstances. No. But you remain the same. There is no shadow of turning with you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in him we find our hope. Help us to see that this morning. And Lord, as we get ready to take communion together, help us to see that even in the elements a past and future deliverance. And in your name we pray. Amen.